Okay, great. I'm speaking to so I feel so honored. Genuinely, I really I'm, I'm so glad you agreed to this for so many reasons, which I hope we'll get into. Okay. He is a consultant endocrinologist, is and perhaps among other things, but a diabetes expert, university consultant, trained abroad world, I would say. Let's say well known. I don't want to say I don't want to say well renowned. No, I won't later on too thick, but I am so pleased we're having this conversation because November, depending on who you speak to, well certainly there's a World Diabetes Day which you indicated to me is November 14th. Right. And my impression it seems I was wrong that this world this the month of November. That designation seems to be from the United States, where that's a North America phenomenon, which is, uh, I think, quite wonderful because it's such a big market. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like everything else, they try to bulldoze the world. Anyway, that's, that's another discussion for another day, but definitely it's poignant. And what I really wanted to discuss with you is really some of the newer agents and if we get to anything else that would be great sure and so i remember very recently what sparked this me thinking about this is i would say in the last i would say two to three weeks somebody came to me because as general practitioners fortunately or unfortunately we mm -hmm. have to follow or continue management that specialists would have implemented and yeah. I'm not even sure I should have gotten the name of because I, I couldn't make all the signature like, well, it, handwriting not as bad as mine, but <laughs> I couldn't make it all too clearly, but there were some things on it I never even recognized. As and, exactly. And what, what she indicated to me, because she's a teacher and well-versed in her disease and I would say well-read. She said, well, these are some of these newer agents that are faster acting, as explained to her, because she was on three or four oral meds, and they just weren't doing it. Uh -huh. And the, a person in my position, general practitioner, said, don't worry, we'll switch it up next time. And I think, fortunately for her, not raining on Doc's parade, I think that was a good decision to move on to somebody with with some more expertise. So my question to you is the the role of these newer agents. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean what I consider I this 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 session should be for John Public. I'm going to try to make it a little less technical. But <laughs> in the in the past we used to have this see-through, well it, it still exists, the see-through incident, some people call that one soluble. Mm -hmm. and there was one, and it's a colonial one, and depending on who you talk to, some people call that one the long acting, the lente, and there's mm -hmm. an in-between one, the 7030. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is, what you would find if most of the, the doctors, the people in my position would tend to, because they're comfort, comfortable, would write the 7030. Right. right. It is essentially what you end up with is, if you do morning evening, you end up on one stick one morning, one stick evening. The yeah. other way around, calculation. More complex. Exactly. So the question is, how did we graduate from that 
to these newer things and right, the right. benefit thereof. Okay, yeah, that's that's a is is is, is a good question, and um, I'd frame it in the context that it wasn't until the nineties that we had evidence that tight control of blood sugars makes a difference in diabetic patients. We kind of, some people kind of suspected it before, mm. but in 1993, um, there was a study called the Diabetes Care and Complications Trial. And basically it showed that for persons with type 1 diabetes, tight control is great. Less eye disease, less kidney disease, less nerve disease. And that's where we got the goal of having an A1C less than 7%. It came out of that, that study. Yeah. Um, fast forward to 1998, and that's when we got the first evidence that tight control in type 2 diabetes makes a difference. And similarly, got a number that A1C of about 7% or less gave you protection. Now, that study called the United Kingdom Prospective Diabetes Survey, and I hope you don't mind if I do a little bit of background. No, As no, I get no. older, I, I learned to appreciate history and how things have evolved. <laughs> so, um, and I lived through these times too. But um, that, that study called the United Kingdom Prospective Diabetes Survey was done in the UK, and it was pretty good in because what it did was they had persons who presented to the GP's office and were diagnosed with diabetes for the first time. So somebody would come to Stonehill Clinic or a private practice office and they're diagnosed for the first time. And uh, again, they showed that in those persons, tight control made a difference. Now, why that also has some relevance to us, they had approximately 500 Caribbean people in that study living in the UK. So there's some relevance to our you know, our ethnicity. A lot of times people say, well, those studies may have been done in Caucasian people in different countries. Where do we have some Jamaican or other data? So these are Caribbean people living in the UK, but still somewhat relevant. Now, when they showed that the tie control worked, they showed that it didn't matter what was used because um, they used sulfonurias. Um, they'd, and they'd use uh, tolbutamide, clopropamide, um, um, which we don't really use much anymore, and glyburide, and, and a little bit of glipizide. So those are the agents they, show, they use. They also use metformin. They use clear insulin, soluble insulin, um, although the technical term is regular insulin. They use NPH insulin, which is a cloudy insulin, and they even use ultralente, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, that's been taken off the market. And they also use lente insulin, which is also cloudy and works like soluble, like, like, like NPH. But lente has also been taken out of worldwide production because NPH has taken over that market. So all of the older agents were shown to be very, very effective in controlling, reducing the A1C and um, preventing complications. Now, since that time, so over the last 20 odd years now, what has happened? We know the agents are effective, but as we push for tighter controls, some aspects of safety come into, into play. 
and so the older insulins and the um and and the sulfonurias as you push people tighter and tighter especially in the older population and we know our population is aging the average Jamaican woman's lifespan now is 78. The average man is, I think, 74, 75. So, but as you use them and you push them harder, the risk for hypoglycemia started to emerge. And that's why some of there was a move towards certain agents which would prevent hypoglycemia. So you could push them harder, get them to their goal without worrying for them to end up in the hospital needing a drip and uh, we push an IV dextrose to try and resuscitate them so that's one thing that pushed the change the other thing that pushed the change is every jamaican loves a sale right i think it's a two-for-one special everybody run that's the, that's the, that's where i want to be and uh, when they looked at some of these newer agents that they were also developing now as um as certainly as some of the tablets what they found was that they were getting a two-for-one special they brought down the blood sugar. They also got it down without hypoglycemia. And they may have other benefits that the other agents didn't afford. So take, for example, there's a class of agents called a GLP-1 receptor agonist. They make you lose weight. And these are the ones that people see on television. Ozempic and Resalbalos and, you know, they're selling all of them on, on, on TV, right? Um, they're, they're fantastic for weight loss, which most persons with diabetes want. And matter of fact, even some of them have been registered as weight loss agents. So you get better blood sugar control and you get weight loss. And the older agents call weight gain because most of the insulins and the sulfonyls cause you to put on weight. Um, some of the agents also protected the kidneys. They got an extra special bang for buck with kidney protection. And for heart disease protection, both for ischemic heart disease, as well as also for um, um, heart failure. So, and then some of the other agents also had bang for buck, like helping to um, reduce the risk of stroke and dementia. So, so basically, the two for one special and trying to make you more safe is what has pushed the you know that we have all these newer agents um more expensive agents um but also at the same time they are safer and i remember when i graduated from medical school blood pressure medications a lot of men didn't want to take blood pressure medications because what we're going to cause erectile dysfunction and other Sorry. side effects and now we've had newer agents and we can tell the men well you don't need to worry about erectile dysfunction anymore so in a similar way, we don't need to worry about hypoglycemia with some of, with some of these newer agents and the extra bang for buck. So excellent. So that so that this is really it's really a push to to really improve control. Then yeah, it's to improve control in because we're dealing with a chronic condition that most people are going to live for the rest of their life with. So what can you keep them? How can you keep them going? And you and I also know when you're treating persons with diabetes, after a while they fall off the wagon, right? After a while they stop taking their medications. And when you talk to them, it's for a variety of reasons. You know, well, this one made me shake at nighttime, so I didn't like the feeling or whatever. So how can you keep people going? And basically, it's really by giving things which might be convenient, taking like say once a day, 
with minimal or no side effects if you can get that. Um, well, it would be nice if they're all cheap. <laughs> uh, but um, because most persons with diabetes, I tell them it's, 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 it's the hardest disease, I think, to live with because you're constantly reminded that you're diabetic. You, you might be hypertensive or asthmatic or sickle cell disease. And you can forget about it during the course of the day. And maybe in the evening, you might remember you have to take your medication or something like that. But every time you open your mouth and you eat food several times a day, a diabetic person is reminded that they have this disease. And so they get tired. They, they just get tired. And, they, you know, and especially if their medication has any little issue with it, they fall off the wagon. So. You know, I... I must admit, the, this, especially that GLP-1 agonist seems to be, all of us have Google and it comes in my feed a lot. Yes. And there, there's one thing I, I, which I guess we can just jump to this, that I, I don't know if I were a patient, if I would particularly like, but it, it's, as I understand, it's an injectable. Yes. And so I don't think I'd like that one, but two... <laughs> And is it, is it a weekly medication? So there, there are various ones. In Jamaica, we only have one, which is exenatide, yeah. otherwise called Bieto. Um, it's very expensive, but it's available. That one has to be given as a shot twice a day. Um, so it's really like taking insulin, yes, exactly. <laughs> in that sense. Um, so not everybody's going to accept it, and then the price tag is is prohibitive. Um, liraglutide, which is also called Victosa, that's given as a once a day shot, like how people may take Lantus or NPH insulin, um, um, and it does a lot of weight loss. And then you have some other ones which are given also once a week. And they're even developing one or two of them, which is given once a month. And finally, semaglutide, which comes out, which came as an injectable, now has an oral form to it. Um, so, so it can be taken um, as a tablet form. Um, but more than the injectable part, Jamaicans won't like the price tags. Right? It, 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 because they're... They're, they're anywhere from, I don't know, like 2000 at the very cheapest might be about, you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, many of them are retailing for about six to, to 13,000 US dollars a year. So, you know, it's, it's pretty nice, right. but it's ridiculous expensive. Exactly. So anybody who researches this after listening, watching would realize that it's being marketed as a drug of the elite to lose weight or that's right because many many americans can't take it um because it may not their health insurance may not cover um and it's available in some european markets because they have a more nationalized healthcare system um and if a specialist prescribes it then they will get it free but yeah we not us so what the question becomes, which uh, I, I know, well, I, I, it's really a motor action question, but what, what's so big, I mean, based on my minimal understanding, what's, what's the big deal? Why would I want to take a GLP-1 organism versus uh, I can use a metformin then? 
yeah 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 what, what what is the what's so good about it compared to the there there is talk because of the efficacy of the glp1 receptor agonist of whether or not metformin should still remain the prime first line agent really yeah so, so metformin has had that status for decades right you know persons diagnosed with diabetes you start them on lifestyle management and metformin and then if they're not doing so well you add on another or another oral agent etc that, that that's the usual standard um metformin reduces blood sugar it helps prevent heart disease it's a weight stabilizer um and it's cheap and readily available um the glp1 receptor agonists they're not cheap and not necessarily readily available but they don't stabilize your weight they, they actually cause significant weight loss um they reduce the a1c potentially more than um metformin and uh, their ability to prevent heart disease or stroke is greater than metformin so so if if you have no financial barriers you would go for something like that so it's to me it's kind of like i need to drive to ocho rios and i can get ryan's car which is a nice fully laid out mercedes Benz plus leather seats etc fantastic stereo system or you could take michael boyne's mazda um i'll get you there but it might be a little bit bumpier road and may not be as a plusher ride so it, it, it's 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 a little bit of the frills also too but yeah it, it, well we have several you mentioned something that the the fact that metformin is first line i just wanted to you know long ago doc they and this would, I would say just a few years of doing my family practice. There mm-hmm. was a company that was well, the dollar was stronger, but they were offering me. They said I, if I buy one for a dollar, they would give me one. Yes. So that and that was and then the fellow was saying, well, if you buy one, if you buy one box, I'll give you three boxes. I mean, that would be it would be like. I don't know how you could make money doing that. I mean, it's really <laughs> volume. I suppose. <laughs> it's <very> nice. <laughs> so, so what came to mind, and and there was a time I actually was practicing when a particular generic for metformin was giving a lot of trouble, gastrointestinal, yes. and yeah. it was really very troubling. And my little circle of patients, they got turned off that drug totally. Mm-hmm. And that was that lasts out a few years, and so I normally I tend to recommend the brand in that product because there's that still I find a little stigma that is when they reach to me. Of course, yeah. the health center you're going to get whatever it has yeah. there, yes. You know, and they, I think you you just you just ask, but admittedly, some of them tell you they tell you don't give them metformin. Yeah, and, you know, duck will have to, you know, sometimes the ducks are stick to their guns, but a lot of times I notice they, they do alter or, or adjust despite what we just said. That yeah, yeah. Is more. So is, is there, without, 
do you have any preference at all? I don't know how to ask this gingerly. Mm-hmm. The, the metformin as a do you prefer a glucophage which is a brand or right right or right is, is it yeah I don't understand exactly what you're saying I, I'm not a, for some years now I'm not a big fan of immediate release metformin which is a plain more powdery version that when you that one has much more gastrointestinal side effects that's associated with it um, when I'm prescribing for the first time, I tend not to use immediate release. So I, I have patients who are in immediate release who come to me from somewhere else and they're on it and they're tolerating it quite well. Um, but, um, um, but for the most part, I tend to prescribe one of the brand names of metformin, which have less side effects associated with it. Um, so you mentioned one, glucophage is branded that way. Um, Metformin XR um, out of India is branded that way. Metformin Denk out of Germany. Um, these are associated with less gastrointestinal side effects. I also tend to prefer to move to the, the once a day dosing of metformin. Um, again, just um, as a patient myself, I'm, I'm not diabetic, but I have my other chronic medical illnesses, you know, anything I can do to cut down the frequency of dosing that, you know, I'm, I'm for it. So, so I like the extended release because again, once a day, less side effects. And also, as you and I know, metformin tablets are huge, (laughs) you know, huge. And some of the patients complain about it. So, um, so the brands also offer the 750, the 850 and the 1000 milligram tablets. Mm. So I can get away from not giving them two large 500 tablets to giving them one large 1000 tablet or an 850 tablet, that sort of thing. And, and, and that aids the patient's you know, compliance, etc. So yes, like you, I think I, I, I order a lot of um, um, the branded ones. Now, we also have metformin combined with other agents, right? right? So sometimes they're combined with the DPP-4 inhibitors, etc. Um, the SGLT-2 inhibitors, another new um, class of agents. Um, and uh, the metformin in those tends to, they're, they're not the extended release, but again, they're, they tend to be more coated and therefore gentle on the stomach too. So I'll also find that people who didn't tolerate the generic immediate release will now tolerate it because it's joined in a combination branded product. Gotcha. So we, well, we, we have to get to that to hopefully, if I, I try not to chat you out too much here, Doc. All right. <laughs> but so if, and this is really just for my edification and I hope others, if metformin is first line, is there a recommended second line? I will tell you, I tend to give no. I just, I have been unlucky with Daniel. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going too bad with glucoside. And then I got a little unlucky. I don't know if it's my mind, but I wasn't. <laughs> and then the patients were complaining. So of late, uh, and this of late could be a year or two now, is glimepiride is my number two. No. Yeah. Uh, that is just me just doing this. Sure. You know, the, so I, I'm just wondering, is there a preferred way to go about like adding the additional? Yeah. 
Yeah, and one of the, is a great question because what really has been happening over the years is the guidelines have been changing, <laughs> right? You know, um, um, and there's this constant evolution, etc. Um, I think you'll find most of the, us as specialists um, use some of the international guidelines or, var or variations of it. Um, and it used to be also quite simple before when we never had much options, right? So metformin wasn't work, add a sulfonuria. Metformin and sulfonuria are not working, add insulin. Yeah. And, you know, simple, <laughs> let's just move on and, and, and such like. Um, now we have many, many options. Um, so which one do you have? And one of the things that I've said several times when I've given lectures to GPs, one of my biggest fears with diabetes, because there are so many options now, you're like the child when you say to them, all right, take one of these sweeties. There's a green one, a red one, and a blue one. They all taste the same, but choose one. Hmm. Well, I can tell you, that child is second-guessing themselves each time. You know, they pick up the green one, they drop it down, and they pick up the red one because they're trying to figure out one of them must be better than the other. So, <laughs> so um, and I fear also because diabetes has so many options that people might become paralyzed. Hmm. Uh, well, really, the best option is to do something is that if the person is not well controlled, do something, add on another agent, intensify lifestyle combination, and then we can quibble about the other things afterwards. Now, having said that, yeah, you can be a bit more nuanced in your approaches. So, because there's different options. Now, the way the Americans and the Europeans are doing it now, our current way of thinking, what I'm saying is not that what you have done is wrong. I'm not mm. saying that because, mm. as we admitted, doing something is the most important thing. Mm. Old data from the 90s shows us just any agent you use is going to make the person better off. Okay. But, um, but what they say is that think about your patient. If your patient is complicated, and what do they mean by that? They have, they've had a stroke. They've had a heart attack. They have heart failure. They have kidney disease, mm -hmm. they have peripheral artery disease, you know, the, the, all of those parameters which we as clinicians recognize, this is a very high risk patient, the chance of them having a bad event or dying is high. If you have the option, use one of the more potent agents, which is either a GLP-1 receptor agonist, not really available in our mm -hmm. woods, or an SGLT-2 inhibitor, which are available in our neck of the woods and there are many there are several versions of them um canafagosin dapafagosin empafagosin so they're here because those agents lower the blood sugar and reduce heart failure kidney disease etc um so you can consider that if the person has had a stroke um you could also consider pioglitazone which some people may know as Diavisto. Sorry, there was a motorcycle running past. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, Diavisto or Actos. Um, it, 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 it has um, better protection to prevent against a stroke. Um, and it also helps in fatty liver. So all those persons where you also have an ultrasound showing livers riddled with fat, um, it's probably the one treatment that can help in that, in, in that situation. Um, so that's what we said. If the patient is complicated, ideally a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor. 
if the patient is not complicated, you know, so they don't have any any micro or macrovascular complications, you can pick, choose, or do anything you want to do. You can give them a sulfonuria. You can give them a DPP-4 inhibitor. You can give them a carbose. You could give them pioglitazone. You could give them back an SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist. You can give them insulin. You could give them basal insulin. You, you could choose almost anything based on what you're also comfortable with. So, um, so, so yeah, so you, um, do I use sulfonurias? Um, a lot of people ask me that question. The answer is, yeah, I still use sulfonurias, although they're not my preferred drug. They're not my preferred drug because they, they work very well, but I worry about hypoglycemia. Maybe that's what you're referring to when you said about your experiences. Yes, exactly. And especially in the elderly. And because I work also in a hospital, um, I'm on for November. I'm on call for the end the endocrinologist service, and I know that when I go on ward rounds this week, next week, and the rest of it, I'm going to see some little old ladies hypoglycemic in a coma, sometimes with a stroke precipitated by the hypoglycemia, etc. And so I'm very weary of that, especially in the old and frail person. Um, or the person who has other complications, they already have a stroke, they have dementia, things which make them less likely to respond actively if they're getting hypoglycemic. Um, but I, I do use it, and I have some persons that that's the only financially viable option too. So again, we know it works, but I caution them about hypoglycemia. I tell them what the symptoms are like, you're going to get nervous. You can get nervous, sweaty, shaky. You have to eat regularly on time. And I insist on them getting a glucose meter. NHF can give you a code-free glucose meter. If you feel this way, please test and see. And this is how you treat yourself. So I kind of school them in hypoglycemia management if I have them on a sulfonuria. Which ones do I use? I don't use glyburide much at all no i can't it's been a long time since i've written a glyburide prescription um it's effective but long time i will use glycoside or glimipramide um my there are second generation sulfonurias and our experience generally i i don't think there's really one more superior than the other um but they're they are better than than glyburide um by better we mean they have less hypoglycemia associated with them. They still cause hypoglycemia, but just less than glyburide because glyburide has such a long half, half life. It just stayed in your body too. It's almost, it's almost as long as diabetes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's almost as long. Diabetes was about 60 hours duration of action. Um, glyburide is up to 48 hours, wow. which is why we have that protocol. If we admit them with hypoglycemia, we have them on dextrose infusions for 48 hours before we send them home. Oh, so. This is very interesting. The, I, I, of the ones we mentioned here, people may know the A-carbos, call that one, the, the common brand name is Glucobay. Right. And that one, I think, is to give, as I recall, well, the three times a day, dosing yeah my yeah. patients never like that two at the time I, I really don't i'm not so sure right now how it compares it was a little pricier than a 
than a metformin. And so it became, because of that, it became a little tricky to get. I remember that distinctly. So it's almost as if we, I was thinking about when I was coming to speak to you and I said, you know, I, I haven't seen that drug in a little while. Just even <laughs> feasting my eyes on it. It's still there. <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and it's on the NHF and JADIC um, list. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So, well, so, that, so it's still relevant to what you're saying. If you think you, you can try, you can add it. Yeah. I have patients who are on it. Um, mostly, I haven't started them on it. Mostly, they, they came to me on it. Um, because like you said, the taking with each meal is a little bit of a downer for many people. You know, they don't want to walk around with tablets, etc. Um, it prevents the or delays the absorption of carbohydrates, but it makes people very gassy. And so a lot of patients complain bitterly about it. And it's, it's good at reducing your surges after a meal, but it's useless in preventing um, fasting hyperglycemia. So, so, if the, if, so if the persons have a elevated fasting, giving them carbos or glucobate doesn't work. But certainly if they are high after meals, it's, it's useful. But yeah, there are many other options around um, and its side effect profile is high. So, and its inconvenience oh, is high. That's so, yeah. The, the, these new ones that I really want to get to, because mm -hmm. yeah, there's a colleague next door to me and she, well, I, I think you, you shouldn't, you would know, I tell her who she is after come off. She gets <laughs> out of trouble with her things. And she's actually on Jardians, I think is mm -hmm. the, and she loves it when she takes it. No, yeah. she doesn't have a good at taking it, but you know, I'll just hold on to mine when the rope comes and, you know, <laughs> if she asks and, and, yes. and so on, you know, because it's, again, to echo your point, it's not, not the most affordable thing in the world. And, and, but she would have tried various things and she really loves it. She was telling me though it, and I hadn't, I haven't read this. So, well, maybe we can get to this a little bit. The motor action, you, she finds her, you're, she, she's urinating a little more in her opinion, mm -hmm. or it's not, not that she has dysuria, but it feels different. Yes. And, and so, what, how does that one exactly? The, the motor action of that. Right. That so, the SGLT two inhibitors such as empofagosin, Jardians. Yeah. Um, Dapafugosin, which is for Seagull, and Canaflugosin, which is Invocana, um, are all here in Jamaica. Invocana was the first, then Dapafugosin, then, then Jardians was the last one on the market. Um, and, and they work well. And um, so they're called a, a sodium glucose L transporter 2 inhibitor, SGLT2 inhibitor. Right. I couldn't remember. But, <laughs> but, but when we were in medical school, you might have remembered that you did encounter SGLT1 because how you use that was in rehydration fluids. So when you oh. gave, when, when, when you have a dehydrated child, and you gave them um, fluids which had sodium and glucose, we might remember that enhanced the absorption of water at the same time of the gut. And that was the SGLT1 receptor that we are using. 
Um, the same receptor in a slightly different way is in the kidneys, and that's a type 2 receptor. And what it does is that it reabsorbs sodium and glucose from the filtrate going through the nephron um, um, so that you don't lose all of the salt and glucose when you pee. Mm. <laughs> so more than 90% of the sodium and the water are, are reabsorbed. So these drugs, they block that receptor. So the glucose goes out in the urine and it takes salt along with it. Now, because of that, your urine becomes brick red. So anyone who's taking these agents, if you dipstick their urine, is going to be brick red, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so doing glycos testing for glycosyrrhus is a waste of time in these people. Gotcha. Um, um, but they lose up to 200 calories a day of glucose. So it keeps their blood sugar down and it causes them to lose weight because it's, you know, they're losing 200 calories a day, which is a significant amount. And because salt is coming along with it, sodium is going, it also tends to bring down the blood pressure. So it helps to bring down glucose, weight and blood pressure. So it's a sort of three for one. Remember I tell you, Jamaicans like deals right so <laughs> so so it really does help and and many of the women who who are overweight and stuff when i tell them i want to give them something and you know they you know they, they can see anywhere from a sort of five to ten pound weight loss while they're on it the, the most i've seen is 25 pounds but that's an outlier and i've also had persons who they don't lose any weight at all so but on average it's about five to ten pounds but they all want it just because of that, right? Anything that can give them at least five pounds weight loss is a uh, is, is is great. Um, so 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 they work in that way. And when these compounds were first made, they were thought, well, they'll be good for reducing blood sugar. End of story. But um, you might remember after we lost Avandia. Right, so Avandia was around. It was very popular. It was a very good drug. I I used to enjoy using Avandia, and they took it off the market for fears of cardiovascular safety. And the FDA said from that time that every drug that comes out should demonstrate cardiovascular safety if being used for diabetes. So when these SGLT2 inhibitors came out, they had to undergo clinical trials to prove cardiovascular safety. And they thought it was going to be like the DPP-4 inhibitors. So the DPP-4 inhibitors, like what we are, is citagliptin, which people know as Genovia, vilagliptin, which I know as Galvos, um, and, um, oh boy, saxagliptin, um, which I'm just blanking out on the trade name right now. Yeah, um, so that, but, that, yeah. yeah but it's coming, it's coming back to me another, another time. <laughs> um, but, but they they reduce blood sugars and they are safe meaning that they don't induce any cardiovascular damage and there are studies for that so they did the same studies now for these sglt2 inhibitors to show that they are safe and then they found out lo and hold there it's not that they're safe they're protective you know they really reduce the risk of of these diseases so 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 they've risen automatically now because of the two for one deal again special <laughs> um for it but um they will make you pee a little bit more right. because you're now mobilizing sugar and salt also they're not a diuretic yeah. but 
what I tell patients is that you're more than likely going to either do one or two things, either void one more time during the day. You know, so if you used to go three times during the day, you may go four times. Or for those of us who hold our bladders a bit better, um, you may not go more frequently, but you may see a larger volume of urine coming out. Um, and then because of the glycosuria, it raises the risk of urinary tract infections and thrush, genital thrush, because now <laughs> all of your urethra and perineal area potentially could have like drops of urine filled with sugar. <laughs> so, so what, what the data shows, and it's also been my, my clinical experience, one in every 10 person you give this drug to can complain of thrush or a simple UTI like E. coli or Klebsiella. Um, for the most part, you treat them once or twice, and that's about it. I've had a couple persons, though, who I've had to take off the drug because they just were getting fluconazole after fluconazole after fluconazole. Um, and so for them, it's, it's a problem. Um, the one thing that we'll make mention, though, is when I give it to persons, I tell them a little bit. I don't want to sound too classist, but um, a little bit about genital health, you know. So um, changing your underwear once a day, wiping from front to back, um, urinating after intercourse. These very simple measures actually have been shown to prevent um, um, infection or thrush in these individuals. So, well, so it's, it's very interesting. So I, I think I'm going to continue encouraging my colleague because it's, I don't think it's that significant. I, I, we're running out of time. I think it's getting a little late. So sure go ahead <laughs> i have a few others that i would love to it's, it's, it's diabetes month so i'm gonna to have to answer your questions so go ahead <laughs> we, we talked about the dpp first the GLP ones the two the in terms of as i understand it if uh, the two are almost tied together is that a reasonable way to understand how they work uh, the the DPP four inhibitors and the, the GLP one agonists in terms of well, if you the DPP four inhibitors, you will. Oh, you mean in terms of how they work mechanistically? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, they're 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 similar in the sense that they increase um, incretin effects in our bodies. So uh, the biggest incretin is GLP one. Um, so whenever we eat, our body produces from the gut GLP-1 and other incretins, which help mobilize insulin and suppress glucagon. So, so they work similarly. The way to think of them is that a GLP-1 receptor agonist has a bigger incretin effect than the DPP-4. So, so, so the DPP-4s will lower your blood sugar, but because the GLP-1 receptor has a greater incretin effect. It actually cuts your appetite, makes you lose weight, and have an even bigger sugar reduction. So, so a GLP-1 receptor is like a super DPP-4. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. The the effect of adding the the same the the, the metformin with the DPP four. Yes. Is it, is it compounded? Because that is I noticed. Primatolatolides became somewhat popular, as in from the based on how the reps would come to me. Right. And in fact, Januvia, which I'm not singing out any better than any, but Januvia, as I recall, came to me first. And so therefore, I was a little more experienced. And then Gallus yes. came. And I found wow. personally, this was my personal experience, no negative on any drug that the Januvia helped a little better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that and I, but I would typically give it with the metformin because I yes. about familiarity. <laughs> so I just want to know: is that effect compounded when you that is when you're taking the two together? Yeah, um, they work um, additive and maybe a little bit of synergism. So when you take it together either as two separate agents at the same time, or you take the compounded tablet of Janumet or Galvosmet, um, um, you do find that um, they're very effective together. Um, there's talk of them also altering the gut microbiome, which is another big area that we're not going to go into tonight. Yes, but, yes. Um, um, but, but, they, but they do work well together, and, and the convenience of the one tablet um, cutting on pill burden is, is useful. So I, I, I like a lot of combination therapy, combination tablets. Uh, I'm asthmatic. I like the fact that I have a combination inhaler of yes. my steroids and long-acting, you know, beta agonists. So, so, um, so I, I use a lot of combination with, with, um, with my patients. Having explained to them, though, there's going to be a price differential than if you just bought them separately. Um, but yeah, they work, they work. They work well together. And what's happening now, you're also seeing they're joining metformin with the SGLT2 inhibitors. So in the United States, you can get Invo, Invomet, I think they call it, Invocana plus metformin. I know the Jardians, they have one, Syngardi, which is also coming to Jamaica, I think this month. This month means in November, coming in November. Again, so Jardians have metformin in a sim in one tablet, and already um, Dapafagosin is here with metformin called Zigduo. Yeah, uh, yeah Zigduo XR. So you take it once a day. It has extended release metformin plus the SGLT2 inhibitors. They work extraordinarily well, and uh, and the person who I like that for is is my obese patient, who is struggling and. You know, for them, even a two-pound weight loss is a positive step in their mind, and um, and it really helps them. Um, women with polycystic ovary syndrome, who again also struggle with weight and glucose intolerance, diabetes, is is also very very helpful. So yes, these combinations, and then also coming out or has come out in some markets is a combination of SGLT2 inhibitors with DPP4s. Um, because they work synergistically also. So um, so I think there's one which has empophagosin Jardians joined with linagliptin um, as another DPP-4 in one tablet. So the, the way of the world is combination therapy, as well as in diabetes, you're gonna see more and more of this coming out, Ryan, 
um, probably even triple therapy, just like how we have triple therapy for blood pressure. Yes, yeah. That's that's where we're going um, eventually in 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 um in 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 this area too. That you can easily see somebody have metformin as the base with you know like a DPP four and an SGLT two inhibitor or 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 maybe even as the GLP-1 receptor agonists go oral, you know, coming out in that way. You, you're going to see more and more triple therapy coming out. There is, and one of the reasons why we also think about it too, is you're probably very aware that many persons with diabetes, their control gets worse as the years go by. You know, they start off on one tablet, then it's two and three, and then they're on insulin. Um, there's some evidence that if you hit them very hard from the time of diagnosis with, with multiple medications or insulin, their rate of deterioration is much slower. So, so there's a lot of talk about, um, can you preserve the beta cell by aggressive therapy up front? And so combination and triple therapies are you're probably going to see more and more of that coming out over the next 10 years very interesting i i was wondering i don't know if we if we brought this up but when do we add because even with the advent of these wonderful new agents when is insulin added right at what point yes do we institute this so Add insulin once you once you think they need it, right? <laughs> once you think they need it, add it more because your instinct as a doctor, as a clinician, is probably spot on. Um, and I also call insulin. My patients, though, I I speak about vitamin I, you know, and I say vitamin I. <laughs> I say yeah, because I said, doctor, I need something stronger for my diabetes. I say yeah, I'm gonna give you some vitamin I. Yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> And then as and then they say, what's vitamin I? And I say, well, insulin. No, no, I don't want that. I say, but yeah, your body, you know, diabetes is a problem of lack of action or deficiency of insulin. So we're going to give you back what you naturally need, which is more insulin. So, uh, <laughs> but the reality though is that um, pregnant women, I jump to insulin very, you know, very, very, very quickly. Um, if I even suspicious, slightly suspicious that you may have type one. I'm going to go straight to insulin. If they're ketotic when I see them um, or have very severe hyperglycemia, you know, the guys who walk into your office with a 21 <laughs> random blood sugar sort of thing, I, I, I consider insulin those. But for the other persons who you've started off, you're taking them through the, the protocol of metformin and adding on. And, um, generally speaking, we say that again, if your A1C is not at target, um despite having oral agents and nowadays it's not unreasonable to use three oral agents yeah. it's expensive right it's expensive yeah. but it's not unreasonable to use but if you need to be adding a fourth agent you need to be thinking insulin and the patients will beg you please don't do it and <laughs> but 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 from i'm thinking of you know you're on three agents and your a1c is not still controlled um, we need to think about insulin. And when we start in insulin, the, for years we've been advocating that you can start with a basal insulin. Why? If you add it to your tablets, it's once a day, less hypoglycemia, 
very reasonable good sugar blood sugar control and you don't need to use a lot of insulin at that stage you know you generally can get by with a relatively small dose in addition to the others so that would either mean um nph at bedtime um glargine or otherwise known as lantus or tugeo anytime morning noon or night it really doesn't matter you can also use levimir which is detimir at, at bedtime and you can use 70 30 insulin in the evening just that it causes a fair amount of hypoglycemia in the early morning um, and a lot of times when my patients i ask them you're on 70 30 insulin do you have any nighttime lows i said no i'm fine um but they're sleeping through the lows if i get them to you know i just say well you know set your alarm clock even just two nights and just check for me and go back to your bed you know like two o'clock in the morning just check your sugar and go back to bed just do it twice many of them you'll find they're running you know three and two you know they're, they're running low um so that's my little problem with the 70 30 insulin it's just it's it's nighttime safety if they're still not doing well, then I will add another shot of insulin. So if they're on NPH in the morning, in the, in the night, I add NPH in the day. If they're still not well controlled and they're taking, you know, Levimir in the evening, I add another shot in the day. If if they're on 70 30 in the, at, at supper time, then I give them 70 30 in the morning. The, the difference, though, is if they're on Glargine or Lantus, where um, you would need to add a short-acting or rapid-acting insulin with mealtimes. And, and uh, so what I'll do at that stage is I'll start off with their heaviest meal, you know, you know do a quick dietary history. Oh, dinner is your, is your heaviest meal hard. We're going to give you five units of, of a short-acting insulin like regular or soluble um nowadays though if the patient pocket can afford it i prefer the rapid acting insulins that's your lispro um humalog or your glulysine which is that, that is the one the lispro thank you lispro yeah. yeah yes yeah. yeah so so i yeah i like lispro glulysine which is a pedro um um nova rapid which is insulin aspart they work they work not instantaneously, but they're very rapid acting. Because when I talk to my patients, how do you take your insulin? Well, nobody waits half an hour. Nobody. Nobody <laughs> waits half an hour. Once you, or, or, once you get them to really relax and let their hair down, uh, the truth comes out, you know. All of them, they remember just as they're about to eat, and nobody's going to take the shot, put the food in the microwave, and then come back half an hour later. They just... They just don't do it. They're rushing to work and school and the tide in the evening. So they all take their insulin just before a meal. And they have significant post-meal hyperglycemia. So, so the convenience of these other agents, you don't wait. We tell them, take the insulin when the food is in front of you. you know, um, and, uh, and that fits their style of eating. But they pay more for that yeah. convenience. The one other exception that I have is a pregnant woman where it's so critical in that, you know, short couple of months to control the sugars 
for the health of our child. Um, and they have very strong postprandial surges. They, they, you know, so preferentially for, for a pregnant woman who is diabetic, mm -hmm. I prefer to use those analog insulins um, um, because the stakes is not, it's not one patient you're treating, you're treating two patients. There's no role for oral in a pregnant woman? There is a role. So metformin can be used um, um, in patients. Now, well, let me, I'll backtrack. There's only one agent that is approved for pregnant women. Only one agent. Mm -hmm. And that's soluble insulin. Oh, that's, wow. that's the only one that's approved for pregnant women. Okay. Not NPH, nothing, right? Um, I think if you look at metformin, you'll see it's class B um, um, agent. So, but what they, the, the more current data suggests, you can give it safely in pregnancy. There is a slight risk of teratogenicity, but it's very, very low. It's very, very low. So, so it's, it's generally relatively easy to, to use. Um, glyburide can be used. There have been some studies um, out of New York, and, and that's where they kind of pioneered it. That shows that glyburide doesn't cross the placenta very readily. Um, no, none of the other sulfonyrs, to my knowledge, have been shown like glyburide. And so you can use glyburide um, in that setting. Um, but it's still a class B agent, <laughs> you know, so you're, you're, you're not necessarily out of the woods medical legally if something happens so even though you can use these those agents um i tend i still tend to go insulin to be quite frank if, if if um um if the woman absolutely refuses i will document that and uh, let her say okay that, that that's your choice then we'll use metformin or or glyburide but I definitely document that's their choice, um, and I and I generally prefer to use insulin. Gotcha. You know, we we've been talking a lot about medications for diabetes, and as I am a family medicine practitioner, mm -hmm. I was mm -hmm. wondering if based on the fact that I suppose that it, it is hereditary, as we understand it, mm -hmm. and there is a hereditary component. Is there anything that that can be done to prevent at that preventative that prevention stage other than well we know that yes. exercise and i'll tell you a story doc, that had a patient who came in i'd say some sugars in the teens and i said listen to me you have to change your life she's moderate weight and she basically ate right and her numbers were under eight uh, it was difficult yeah. to give her a medication and she's been holding there for the last few years. She just follows what she tries to do with the walking. But I right. said, she's, she's asking me if she's diabetic. And I said, well, you are diabetic. Because the, the A1C, right. they're, they're pretty. So I think it's, I think of a seven. But I said, you are diabetic, but you're controlled on that. She said, exactly. well, she accepts that then. She said, well, she was going to continue doing this, you know? Yeah. So that, yeah. that I can't think of many people I've been in my practice at well, you know, 
that I've had that I would say good fortune. I was gonna say luck, but let's see, let's use the term <laughs> good fortune. Yes. So, so if I know, for example, mommy daddy is diabetic, I don't want to get diabetes. Is there anything I can do on that what we said? Or... Yeah, yeah, no, there um there's actually reams of clinical trial data to to help in that decision making. So um so in 2003, some pivotal studies were done. One was the DPS, the Diabetes Prevention Study, done out of Finland. And then there was a DPP, which was the Diabetes Prevention Program done in the United States using a multi-ethnic population, you know, blacks, Chinese, etc. So, um, and they showed exactly the same thing. Matter of fact, when I looked, they came out, in the New England Journal about a month apart. And you, I wondered if they had cooked the data, you know, because they're the exact same outcomes. Mm -hmm. So what they showed is that if a person has, and I'm going to tell you how they specifically did it. The people in this study were, they tended to be overweight. The average BMI was about 26, 27. Mm -hmm. They tended to have impaired glucose um, um, tolerance. So they either had IGT or impaired fasting glucose IFG. And they tended to have a family history of diabetes. So, you know, all of the risk factors that kind of make you say, yeah, this person is, is dying to become diabetic, you know. <laughs> Runs, you know, parents have it, <laughs> you're overweight, your sugar's already starting to move up. Um, when they randomized those individuals, so if they did lifestyle, like what your patient did, now, lifestyle meant that they weren't on a low-fat diet. They lost 7% of their body weight. Right? They exercised a minimum of 150, but up to 200 minutes per week of moderate intensity. So that meant that, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of most days of the week, they would exercise at moderate intensity. They had nutritional counseling. Um, they had exercise physiologists working with them. And they had uh, behavioral or cognitive therapy people working with them. So this is a program, right? This is not just a casual advice we're given in our office. Like, yeah, you know, you need to walk around Emancipation Park. And yeah, you need to stop eating KFC. And you, need to, you know, you know, it, it, you know the, uh, this was a program. They found that people with this program... 60% um, of them did not develop diabetes, right? So, the, so, the, sorry, no, I shouldn't say, I said that wrong. There was a 60% reduction in the development of diabetes. Um, actually, the, the specific number was 58%, and the Finns found exactly the same thing in their wow. study, 58%. Now, the ones who use metformin, they, they, they only got casual advice. They don't, you know, walk around Emancipation Park, don't eat any KFC. But they gave them metformin, um, 1,500 milligrams a day. They had a 39%, just call it 40% reduction. So lifestyle is superior to metformin. So, so that's why we, you did the right thing, and we still push lifestyle. Um, and lifestyle lasts longer because once you stop that metformin, your risk goes right back up very quickly. Um, even if they stop the lifestyle, the lower weight and 
training of the muscles, etc., they have a longer period of still remaining stable. Now, the Indians have done this study, they found the same thing, and several other places around the world have done the, the studies and they get exact same um, numbers. Since that time, they've looked at other agents. They've looked at pioglitazone, which a lot of Jamaicans <laughs> don't use a lot of, or Americans. But pioglitazone was actually the, the best. 50% of people did not develop diabetes if they use pioglitazone. So, so lifestyle is still, you know, nearly 60%. Then there's pioglitazone. And then after there's metformin. And they've done studies with DPP-4s and sulfonurials, and they're a little bit less than metformin. So yes, you can use drugs, but yeah, but li lifestyle still um, trumps it. And since that time, there's only one other modality which has trumped everything, and that is um, bariatric or metabolic surgery. So uh, if the person fits the criteria and they go for that, that one, because you have such massive weight loss, um, it's, 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 it's like 90% of them do not develop diabetes. So, so, so that's the, the biggest one. And because you had asked a question about GLP-1 receptor agonists, we don't have that data for prevention, correct? Because they cause a lot of weight loss too. Yeah. So if you were to give somebody these Ozempic and all these other things, um, Victosa, um, it should protect, but we, I, I don't know the data for that. So I still push people for lifestyle. And then if they don't, I give them drugs. <laughs> and, and I also had some, I, I had a couple of persons who they really were various, you know, you know, family history, weight, and I could see, you could see their sugars inching up little by little, you know, every couple months or, you know, on their, their, their executives, you could see it inching up. And I've added metformin. And even in a couple of them, they still inched up. And I've even added, like, say, diavista met, you know, so pyoglitazone plus metformin together. And then that stopped them, you know, so, but, um, so there are options, um, but nothing is perfect on and, and I get, well, the nearest one to perfection is, 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 is bariatric surgery. Yeah, I had an interesting discussion with, with Lindbergh Simpson, who yes. I know from, I was going to high school, so, and he was explaining to me all these wonderful yeah. outcomes and all of these interesting things. In fact, he was saying he was having some discussion with the government, obviously pre-COVID, Mm -hmm. getting a few cases done in conduction because with the government so that if looking at the amount that the government has to spend for the medication they he gave a time factor i don't want to misquote him but it could be a few years for it to more than pay back itself in other words yes the yes. government wouldn't out all this medication and so they need to and of course it's obvious well i think he has his criteria and you have to go through a whole procedure to, right. get to do it but it, it really was something that I, I would tell you dog sometimes I, I told him i tell you it was like one of the most impressive things in medicine i've witnessed you know that people had a patient who couldn't get pregnant and was diabetic and hypertensive and mm -hmm. she did this thing and 
the the period came out, she felt good, and then the period went against the Lord. What is happening to my period? And she was pregnant. To, yeah, she came to my <laughs> office with her son. And I had seen her because she did this thing, went and moved into another community and then came back. Yeah. She showed me because yeah. I remember her telling me that she can't get pregnant, so she had it and all these sorts of things. So you know, it's interesting, you know. It, it's a it's a viable option and I actually think there are more persons who would benefit from it. Um our culture is not pro surgery. Matter of fact, our culture is also anti medication and sometimes anti doctors, right? You know, that's the reality, you know. Um people like natural natural methods. Um but um but but certainly in my patients whose BMI is 35 and over, um, and they're on polypharmacy, you know, I'm giving them three or four drugs for diabetes, I'm giving them three drugs for blood pressure, they're on a statin, they probably have some osteoarthritis, they, you, know, you know, the list keeps going on and on. Um, you know, these are the persons that I say, well, you know, if you have the wherewithal, metabolic surgery is, is an option. Um, people don't like it because they think it's it shows that you don't, you know, it's a failure of your willpower and your ability, so our ego gets in the way, etc. But but really their mortality is very, very high and they're fighting an uphill battle. And the medications that they're using to try and help them almost invariably prevents weight loss, right? Because by that time many of them are they might be using sulfuria. They might be on 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 insulin. They might be on pioglitazone, and and these agents prevent weight loss. So so it's very difficult for them. So if they have the wherewithal, I say yeah, this is something for you to consider. But I tell them they're switching one disease for another. You're switching diabetes for malabsorption, right? Because that, yeah. so is you don't get a clear ride because for the rest of your life you need to be on micronutrient supplementation right because you don't absorb iron and calcium and all you know b12 and all of those you don't absorb them very much so you're going to have to take supplementation so it's not a clear i get away i get out of jail free card because they they do spend a lot of time in the health the health food section <laughs> picking up multivitamins and other and other things like that but, but it's a different option. Um, the safety factor has gone up quite a bit also as the surgeons have gotten better with, with their techniques. Um, so so uh, it'll, it'll, become, it'll, it'll get more in vogue, I think, um, just as like how plastic surgery has gotten more in vogue. Um, you, know, what, you know, before nobody was doing these breast lifts and, and Tommy talks, etc. And now, quite a few people are doing it, you know. So uh, I, I think over time, yeah, we're going to see more of that, and it is a viable option um, for persons who have diabetes. What the data suggests is that by the time they had the bariatric sur surgery, seventy-seven percent of them will not be on medication. Wow. Right. So that's a lot. Now, when you look at them five years later about 50% of them will not be on medication. So some of them are going to relapse a bit, but still 50% without medication is, that's a good amount, so. Not bad. Yeah. Well, I, I think we, we, 
I've spoken long and I've uh, chatted you outside a little. No problem. <laughs> I was just, I don't know what that, uh, just uh, I was asked people this and uh, maybe perhaps we can tie it to your email. It, that means you, I think, around 10% of our population or thereabouts is where we stand. And in fact, I was speaking to somebody, one of our colleagues recently, that his interpretation, his thought was that it actually did a lot of the COVID patients in indirectly. So, yes, you know, that's so, quite right. Yep. So in fact, he says number one, uh, that's his name, Roger Hunter. Mm -hmm. uh, is who I spoke to, and yet, you know, Roger, very brilliant, and he has some particular thoughts that everybody is aware of. Right. But he really is very, for a surgeon to say that to me, I, I just thought deeply about it. He's very impressed with diabetes in general, and he yeah. said he actually had to give one of the things that he himself, during the pandemic, because of what was occurring, he gave a patient seven liters of fluid in their, in the person's driveway, I think, and so he stood up and he ran 14 bags of saline to basically save this person's life, person's alive, you know, mm -hmm. so, and diabetic and dehydrated. And and so he's very, very, very impressed. And, and the, depending on which study you look at, people say no, the second, they, they use that, that fancy term, NCDs, I notice we have <laughs> As the WHO becomes populated with North Americans, we get yes. abbreviated for a lot, a lot of things. Yes. And the, the point of the matter is that we in this country, everybody, I would say, has a relative with that has this issue and has a complication. Like, even right. up to recently, I had a patient that unfortunately had an above knee amputation. And I, I thought that was the reason, but there was a little darkness on the toe. Mm -hmm. I did a few dresses and said, well, this thing is just not getting better. So let's hear what the guys said. There was no obvious, that never looked like wet ground green to me. Just a little darkness. And they never liked what they saw. And it ended up in a, her sugars could have been better. It was about 10 though. Mm -hmm. um, but so that, that's a whole other discussion. But it, it really, what, what I'm saying, what, the question I'm asking, very long-windedly, apologies, it's is... Okay. How how would you improve our, our diabetes in the country and and any any thoughts and in your opinion uh, well, you can tell it to how you think we're doing <laughs> and then how would you improve what we're doing? You know, I posted an article on my Facebook site about a week or two weeks ago. I think it was from. It might have been from the New York Times, etc. Um, but basically, we're, we're, we're failing the battle against diabetes. That's, that's just the reality. Um, 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 and, and we're failing the battle be, for, 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 for two reasons. One, we're living longer. So... And uh, and up to nearly forty percent of the new cases of diabetes that we are seeing is just because of people are living longer, and and, and it's part of the aging effect. Um, the other sixty percent is due to our changes in our lifestyles. Um, now, this world is perfectly 
designed to make us diabetic. Right? It's perfectly designed, right? Because we live in, we're more urbanized now. So physical activity is low. Um, you know, as, as I tell, you know, students, nobody's going to the river to draw water <laughs> so they can bathe or drink, right? You know, we, you know it, it comes it comes to us, you know, uh, you know, we, we drive everywhere, you know, our cities are not designed for walking. Crime has prevented us from wanting to do and, and, and climate change with the heat. Nobody wants to walk. Um, I, I was convinced of that when I discovered how much vitamin D deficiency there is in Jamaica, right? Which in a tropical country should not exist. But many people do not see sunshine. They move from car to building and back, but they don't, they don't see sunshine. Um, our food, you know, so the healthy options are not subsidized. So they're more expensive and the lower quality foods are are cheap we're sleep deprived we're stressed out um, we have lots of environmental pollutants we now know air pollution is a risk factor for diabetes um, there's a lot of talk about the microplastics in our environment what we call um, um, in endocrinology Oh boy, endocrine disruptors, that's the term that we use. So everything for a built urban environment makes you diabetic. And that's exactly what we have. And we're, we're not necessarily improving that environment. We're we are reemphasizing buildings are going up taller and et cetera, et cetera. So, so it doesn't look good, right? Um, and that's what the article was about, that unless we change at a macroeconomic level, we're not, going to, we're not going to win this battle. What we're going to have to do is find more and more expensive treatments um, for the disease which has become endemic. So the last survey done by, that's Jamaica Lifestyle um, survey done um, with Epidemiology Research Unit and, and the Ministry of Health. Um, one in eight Jamaicans has diabetes. So that's, that's, that's about 12%, right? One in eight. And, and that's a point prevalence when you look between persons age 15 up to 75. But when you break it down and you look at it per decade of life, um, by the time you're in your... Um, you know, sixth to seventh decade of life, you know, it's it's over twenty percent of people have diabetes, and that's you know, and, and we know that hypertension is about fifty percent of of Jamaicans. So I, I say all of this not to sound like gloom and doom, but the reality is that this pandemic is going to just is is we're, we we ain't seen nothing yet. We ain't seen nothing yet. I'm glad to see people are getting more physically aware you know health conscious i should say so you know i see more people exercising and whatever and somebody said to me well you know we shouldn't have as much diabetes because people are exercising yeah but the reason why they exercise is because they've been told by dr one that they have diabetes and they have hypertension so they're so many of them are out there because their doctor told them you need to do this stuff or you, you already have the you know chronic illnesses so so unfortunately, until I see macroeconomic solutions, 
um, it doesn't look very hopeful for us as as um, as a world. This is not just a Jamaica yeah. thing. Yeah. This, this is a global phenomenon. Um, India, which has made such dramatic strides economically, thinks that by 2030, the rate of diabetes there is so high, it's going to erase potentially all of the economic development they've had over the last 30, 40 years, mm. right? Just because the cost of diabetes care is just so high and the morbidity, you know, is so great. So, so and then pandemics come along and show us again, you know, the effect of aging and diabetes on your, your, your outcomes. So, so until we actually, yeah, until we actually have a certain macroeconomic solutions, we're just going to be looking for more and more expensive medications. So I, so I, so I hate to sound like the, you know, the, the gloom and doom in the room, but, 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 you know, that, that's the reality as how I see it, to be frank. Yeah. No, but that, that is a suggestion though, that they need to put uh, some resources there and that, 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 yeah. You know that is the, the the frank the punchline here that if yeah. you we don't because it it it's it's just terrible. I just yeah it, you know, yeah it needs a macroeconomic effect. You know, just like when they spoke about oh, there's a ozone, the ozone layer has been depleted. Uh, I, I remember in the seventies, people said don't use any more deodorant spray. And because they and they banned certain forms of um, aerosols, etc., and because of that, as a macroeconomic solution, um, they stabilized. You know, so there is a ozone hole, but it's actually smaller, and you know they stabilized it. Um, when we look at healthcare, sanitation has done more to prevent disease. You know, um, cleaning up. You know, cleaning up the air cleaning up the water, taking away garbage, you know, those vaccination, those things which are done at a macro level have made sizable things that we can say we can eliminate polio and we can eliminate, we did eliminate smallpox, etc. So in a similar way, we need an initiative for, for the NCDs, the term that you like. Mm -hmm. uh, we, 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 need a, we, need a, we need a macro where we are thinking about re-engineering neighborhoods we're thinking about food policy. You know, what are we going to invest? Are, are you going to now incentivize farmers and, and merchants um, to utilize food products that are now cheaper and more affordable? Um, will we have, you know, better recipes? You know, cooks who can make up recipes because everybody loves KFC, right? Jamaicans are addicted to the mm. taste of fried chicken, you know. Um, but they're not going to take something green because they don't taste anywhere near as good. So, so we need even better recipes because taste is driving a lot of what people want, etc. Um, we don't have good public transportation. That's one thing I miss when I was living overseas for training. I, I love taking the train, um, walking and taking the train where I would get some reading done and, and thinking and meditating. Rather than being stuck in traffic and cussing bad words because a taxi man has overtaken me and my stress level is high and, you know, or whatever. And, you know, or, you know, people stuck in traffic going out to Portmore for two hours so they grab some fast food and, but they're sedentary in their cars. So 
so the whole aspect of 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 traffic control neighborhoods and environments walkable green spaces food policy we need that as as a solution otherwise we're going to live in a diabetic world and our numbers if go unchecked potentially could spiral to india's is that Oh, definitely. Um, we are projected to increase by at least 40% by 2030, which is in another yeah, eight years. It's not, it's not far away. So, so, um, so the projections are, are not good. Not, not good. Um, matter of fact, every time they've had projections, they've had to revise the projections because they turn out to be an underestimate. Because the rates are just galloping along so so fast, so yes, at this stage now, um, right now there's about um, yeah, it's about point point seven billion people in the world with diabetes going on. So it, it's it's you know so is a you know so it's it's sizable. <laughs> That's a lot of people, and. And, and is an ex if you put everybody on Ozempic, then it's very expensive. <laughs> oh boy! Well, I thank you, Doctor Boyan. Thank you so much.